Benuchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem B'Rachnuchim V'Ez Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shiur. Due to the tardy hour of Maidiv, the shiur starts a little later than 9 o'clock. Apologies. But Maidiv must go on, since we have porch minyanim still here in Granites. So the shiur, the Maidiv has to be attended. Or else it's pretty much lost case after that. Shabbos is Pasha Shlach. Shabbos Mevorchim Chidish Tammuz. And of course, as we spoke, the Shabbos before Gimel Tammuz. We're currently making a raffle outside the house, which is all that noise because Baruch Hashem Kinainahara Ken Yirbu. On our block, we have everyone that wants to get Elias before you before Gimel Tammuz, and there are kind of 32 candidates requesting Elias. So that means four times Kriya is going to have to be laid over, and three of the times have to be done before Tehillim, which is 8:30 a.m. And thereafter, the fourth Kriya is by davening. So the girdle is for who is going to merit to get the the Eight Elias by davening. So they can get up only at 8.15 to daven, say tilim, and then daven. Pasha Shlach. Every Pasha, everything in Teda, has a lesson. A lesson and a directive. How we need to live, how we need to act, how we need to behave. Teda, Lashon Heira, is Nitzchis. It's perpetual. Therefore, it's not a storybook, Chas but rather a life lesson. And each time we read a Torah portion, a Parsha, we need to derive new lessons from it. The Rebbe spoke in many sikhs. Throughout the years of his Nasiyas. And the Sikhs explain different portions of the Teda, different episodes that took place, and they vary. They vary. Within the same given Pasha, we have sometimes 30, 40 Sikhs, 20, 30 Sikhs. On that given Pasha, and each one is a different topic of the parsha. Each one is a different psukim, a different rashi, a different thought of the parsha. And on Thursdays, usually, upon popular request from so many people who might be listeners to the shir, might not be listeners to the shir itself, but a shir is a whole hour, usually, and it's a bit much for them. And they want to be able to repeat something by a Shabbos table, 
So I give out what's known as a chaymel adrush. Four, between four and six minutes. Different topics of the parasha. And if a person, thank you, is any which way learned, they can take the few minutes and they can say Advartera by the Shabbos table. And it's beautiful. The, the feedback is amazing. The joy of the people is just phenomenal. Chaim and happy birthday. And a few weeks ago, two weeks ago actually, I discovered my brother in Los Angeles either is doing the same thing or started doing the same thing or has been doing it but he's a little more animate than I am and he does it with a video and he does he gives a little part of the Tvarsha with a video Yow. yeah the video and these different pictures and it, it's, he animates it beautifully please stop shaking the table I feel like I'm going to go on a boat. The two weeks ago, first time I heard him do it, it was after I already posted my Chaim al-Drush, and I said to him, oh wow, I guess my message was powerful enough for you to go and to repeat it. And he tells me, ironically, I recorded mine on Tuesday. I only put it out today. But he recorded practically, not word for word, verbatim, but the same thought and the same Indian of the Parsha. Which is obviously the message that Abba felt needed the world to hear for that Shabbos. And that's how Teda is. Teda is Nitzchis, Teda is Perpetual. And Teda always gives us a, lef- a lesson in our lives. Action is, of course, very, very important. The beginning of the parsha talks about talking. Discusses talking. We need to guard our tongue. We need to be excruciatingly careful what we say, how we say it, and when we say it. And we've discussed this many times. This is not a Lashon Hara lecture. But obviously, the Pasha begins with the lesson of Lashon Hara, and the Pasha and the Teda tells us, Lama Nismecha, why is the end of Baalesha talk about the story of Miriam talking Lashon Hara about her brother Moshe and the beginning of Shalak starts again with Lashon Hara the story of the Meraglim to teach us how, Lashen, how dangerous Lashon Hara can be how dangerous Lashon Hara actually is then we have actions the end of our parsha is an action. 
Mekoshish Eitzim. The person chopped wood on Shabbos. They asked, what is the din of Chil Shabbos? What is the punishment? And he was put to death. We also have the mitzvah of Chala in the parasha. And we'll soon see the commonality between Chala and the Mekoshish Shaitzim. We're also going to have a new new contest in this house. A question which we're not going to answer by the Shem Yachim. Really another connection, Pasha Shalach and Pasha's Yisrael. Last week we connected Baalesko with Yisrael. This week we're going to collect, connect Shalach with Yisrael. Why we're attacking Yisrael? It's an inside joke. So the parasha starts off, as we said, with the story of the spies, the Meraglim, and finishes with the end of the parasha, din of a person, the Rachman did a sin similar to serving idol worship, the Keshesh Eitzim on Yom Rashi, who is the champion of the Bemchamash the Mikra, and always tells us Pshutish the Mikra, the simplest thing in the Mikra, simplest explanation, sometimes goes off a little bit. And he brings from other explanations. Sometimes he'll quote a Tana and Ameda, and the Rebbe will explain, the Rebbe has explained many times what the re- relevance of that quote was, and oftentimes even why he mentions the name of the person that he quotes, how that is actually connected to the Pshuta Shemikra. So although it sounds like he's deviating from Pshuta Shemikra by bringing down a Medish Tanchuma or something of the sort, Rashi has, his MO is Pshuta Shemikra. And here Rashi brings down the explanation for Rav Meisha Darshan. Why is the Teda talking about Avi Zara and then talks about the Mekeshish? To teach us that a person who desecrates Shabbos Rachman is as if he serves idol worship. Because Shabbos is also equal to all the mitzvahs. And this is why the Mekesha Shaitzim story is brought on after Avedizar. Always comes in with a bang. You gotta mute your mic there, buddy. Thank you. No. Hello. Queens, Queens. There you go. Thank you. This explained the proximity of the Avedizara, the Avedizadim, 
In the even though we still have to find a actual connection, a thread that connects the two, and especially connecting it with the story of the Pasha, the theme of the Pasha, which is the miracle. Um, on a side note, we learn also in this week's Pasha, that the first of your dough, one needs to separate Chala. Titnu Lashem Truma. A gift to Hashem. One makes a dough for Chala. The woman usually separates a part and gives this to the Kayin. Unfortunately, today's day and age, Kahanim are not pure, and therefore this piece is usually burnt. The Medish notes that is right after this parasha, what does it tell us about the Avdavidazara, someone who worships idols? Says the Medrash, someone who fulfills the mitzvah of Chala is as though he abolished Avidizara. But Chasishalom, someone who takes a dough and does not separate Chala, does not fulfill the mitzvah, is as if he, God forbid, served Avidizara. Seriously. Taking a piece of dough, making a bracha, saying, Areza Chala, welcome Atlanta. And, Scranton, I hope you're not upset I didn't mention. Hi, Scranton. Okay. Tearing off this small piece of Chala, it's a little bit extreme. Extreme, you're, you're giving it, you're putting it to the same level of God forbid serving idol, idol worship, idolatry. The core of this idolatry is not just worshiping another deity, except for Chasushon, Chwanazan serving something that's not Hashem Echod. But even a person that makes the mistake of thinking there's a different power, a different source, whether it be a pandemic, whether it be something natural, or something that just plain rules and controls the way something has to happen or happens. This is Avedizara. The mere fact that one believes that this uh, there exists a separate entity, an independent entity, something separate from God, God this runs contrary to what we have to say. We need to believe Eneid Muvadeh. There is nothing beside HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
believing that something else has control, and something else has power, or something else has potential to do something, Therefore the message compares the observance of Chala to abolishing Avedizara, idolatry. And Faket, and the opposite. When a person plants the grain and he brings the the wheat and he grinds it and he sifts it and he mixes it and he makes a dough. There's a lot of skill involved, a lot of human interaction that's involved here. We can't plant dough. You don't have a dough tree. Some kids think they have a, the daddy has a dollar tree. But it's not a dough tree. You don't have a tree that grows dough on it. There's a whole process to get there. So on a broader scale, when you look at this dough rising in a bowl, if you get one of the children's books that will teach us what Chal is all about, it'll teach us how the seed got planted, how the stalk grew and was nurtured and watered, and finally the man took the sickle and chopped it, and then it was all taken and threshed, and it was all separated. I sound like a farmer already. And they took, and until they make this fine, fine flour, and then they're mixing it, and everything that goes into it, all the ingredients. It looks almost natural. It looks almost, as to show like the person actually did this. Therefore, the first thing we do when this became a dough, which is now an entity that we're looking at and we're appreciating and we're enjoying, first things first, we separate a piece of challah. And this is for a gift for God, acknowledging that all of the efforts that the human being put into this is all from Hashem. And it's all blessings of Hashem, and there's nothing that the person themselves actually managed or manufactured. And this is therefore how we sustain ourselves, this is how we exist, and this is the source of our success, the hand of Hashem. Another step, take it a step further. Separation of Chala as a gift to Hashem acknowledges since Hashem brings the entire world into existence every single second, HaKadosh Baruch Hu recreates the world on a constant basis. This way we acknowledge and understand and recognize everything belongs to Him and there is nothing else except for Him. Therefore giving Him the dough which is truly His. So by separating Chala, we abolish this mistaken theory of idolatry. By declaring to the world that neither the powers of nature, 
nor the efforts of man, nor anything that was put into this challah exists, it's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And only because of Hashem's blessing and Hashem seeing to it that this is created and this happens, only because of that does this happen. The proof is in the pudding, or in the flour, or in the dough. The Rebbe insists that in the kitchen of every Jewish woman, on the main beam of the kitchen, there should be a tzedakah box, a pushka. Why? The Rebbe explains that women do a lot of praying in the kitchen. When you pray, you got to give tzedakah. Especially if you're praying not just a prayer, but you're praying and asking Hashem to do something for you. So, for example, when the woman makes that challah, she makes that dough, and the yeast is just rising almost, and the mixing was a little tough, and you're not sure, maybe there was too much water, maybe there was too little water, and it was really hard to knead this dough. And you leave this dough now in the bowl and you're davening that it's going to rise. You're literally davening it's going to rise. So you take a coin and you put it in the tzedakah box. Because you daven that it's going to rise. But the mere fact that this flat dough that you just put together rises on the natural basis almost, you want to attribute that to the yeast. Oh, it was a good yeast this week. And therefore the good yeast gave it a good oomph, and it's rising nicely. Heaven forbid, this is Hashem's doing. And therefore we make a baruch Hashem and the king melech but to be mafresh the chala, to separate that chala, and it's a beautiful mitzvah. And although the women all know that after Pesach, the first Shabbos, after Pesach is schlitzel chala, the key, the key chala, where they put a key in it for Barnasa and for this, for that, it would probably be a good idea this Shabbos where it talks about chala that women should bake. not a mitzvah. It's only an, a random idea that just came into my head. Actually, it didn't just come into my head, I'll tell you the truth. My wife was actually talking about giving, when she gave her shia this week, about that she's going to discuss challah, and I said, maybe you should tell the women that this week is the week of challah, maybe we should. But then, Pasha Shira, we're going to start throwing water all over the house so we can jump over it. And little things, you know, the slob is going to start flying in our kitchens. You don't want to get Ten Commandments in your kitchen either. You have to live with it, but I don't know if you want to have a big uh, stone sitting in the middle of the table. Um, so going back now, the continuation, the continuity of the Parsha, Chala talks about then talks about Avidizar and then talks about the Mikhaishim. So we see that Chala is connected with, God forbid, a person 
not God forbid, with a person obliterating idolatry. And a machal is a Shabbos If someone desecrates Shabbos, then he's also as if he served the Vedasana. In that case, we have to say the opposite as well. One who respects and keeps the Shabbos the way it should be done is obliterating it by idolatry. But as we said before, we need to find now that fine line that's going to connect the story of the Miraglim, the Chala, with the Aveda of Aveda Zara, Sin of Aveda Zara, and Kiddush Shabbos. Also, we want to find out Mr. Mikhail Jaitim, wood chopper, desecrating Shabbos in public, making sure the people were there that saw you do it. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Did you have no Rahmanas on your children? We find the sin of Avidizara of idol worship, idolatry, is one of the most stringent and worst sins that one could commit. So much so, that it's one of the Avedas that falls into a level, a category of Yarek Valyavir. One must allow themselves to be killed rather than desecrate. And we know generations upon generations of people that literally died Hanan has seven sons that were put to death not to desecrate the name of God God forbid and serve Avedizara so much so that when her last son the infant also would not bow down the king threw his ring on the floor told him to pick up the ring and figured if he picks up the ring he'll bend down to pick it up he'll be bowing to this too his mother stopped him although if she, he would have done just pick up the ring he wouldn't really be serving of Zara, and it would have been eh, 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 and therefore he would have been saved and spared but no she would not allow it and ultimately he too was killed as was his mother they chose death rather than bow down to an idol. A random service. There's nothing to be able to, to, to sit such a, at such a level to choose death over this. It's, it's a very... It's a, it's a whole new level. It's something that doesn't work... <clears throat> In the Seichel Anushi. What Seichel Anushi anyway? And what is the level of Avedizara, of idol, idolatry? Some say the dollar is a, one of the stronger Avedizaras that there are today, the Almighty Dollar. People worship the dollar. People will do things for the dollar that are off to the charts. 
But we're put through tests. The dollar is needed. You need to pay a mortgage. You need to buy food. You need to take care of children. Get clothing. Entertain them during during pandemics. Things need to happen. You need the money. Can't just not work. So many tests that we go through. So many trials. And some even go through tribulations. You tell a story. I heard from Melech Biedemann. I read. A servant of the king. Who was devoted to the king. Heart and soul. With his entire heart and soul, there was nothing he wouldn't do for the king. And not only that, but doing for the king just gave him pleasure. Knowing that he was doing something for the king. One day he merited that the king called him in. And the king asked him to go to a certain country. go to a mission to a certain country for him. And the fellow was ecstatic. And to do it, I gave him a mission to do in that country. The fellow was ecstatic. And he got his things together, he bid his family farewell, prepared himself some food for the journey. He set off for the port. As he arrives at the port, he sees his ship is sailing. And he starts to call, wait, wait! ship is out, it's out of the dock. And he's begging the sailors, come back, take me, please get back here, I gotta go. No, I'm not turning around the boat. And he stood there in despair, watching this boat sail away. So he turned to the people by the dock and said to them, Tell me, when is the next ship to this country? They said, There is none. That was the only one. Which means the only way I can get there now is through camels and walking and hiking and... That's right. Afraid so. Well, so be it. I have to get there for the king. But, oh, I would have been so much happier to have gotten there so much quicker for the king. And throughout his arduous journey, the blisters he developed on the bottom of his feet, the pain in his back from the riding on the camels and the donkeys, the days and days of hunger, thirst, and heat, he was tortured. I was tortured knowing that I'm doing this for the king, but I'm not doing this for the king. I'm going to the country for the king. But I could have gone by the boat. I could have wasted another less less two minutes, less five minutes, and been down the time for the boat, and I would have been on the boat. So the entire journey was torture to him. 
But, let us take a little twist to this story. Let us say that the king indeed asked him to go to this country, not by boat, to take this long path, to take the highways, to ride the donkeys and the camels, to walk those miles in the heat with the blisters and everything. The adoration and love that he had for the king would have made every moment of this journey a pleasure. Of course I will do this for the king. I will enjoy doing this because this is for the king. Rabbi say the same is when it comes to Teda and Mitzvahs. Keeping the commandments, keeping the Teda. We go through very, very hard times. How difficult is it or was it now the times when people had to daven at home and could not get a minion? Now Baruch Hashem's shuls are opening up slowly. Many people, Baruch Hashem, are still davening on their porches with minyanim. We still have our black minion, Baruch Hashem. Could go for quite a while, it looks like. But the unity of the block is a beautiful thing. Everybody davening together, everybody coming in together at the same time. Pretty much. We don't have the right to look at this as I missed the boat and now I have to suffer walking and riding the camel. We need to look at it and say the king asked us to take this route. And therefore every moment of our day until the last moment of our day and from the wake when we open our eyes till we shut them at night. We need to know and understand we are on a mission of our King whom we love as our Father. For He is our Father. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Melech, Malchem, Amlochem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, has asked us to embark on this mission. And He gives us these little curves. He gives us sometimes these little bumps. And we say, oh no, how am I going to get over this? How am I going to get past this? I'm going to, you know why? Because I'm serving Hashem. I'm serving my Father. I'm serving the King whom I love with every fiber of my body, unconditionally. My entire existence is out of love of my Father. And therefore, I can think of nothing better, nothing nicer, than getting through this, so that I come out with flying colors and accomplish the mission that HaKadosh Baruch has given me. So therefore this fact that one needs to go to Mesidus Nefesh be prepared to give up their own life rather than God forbid serve with the Zara 
We need to understand. The whole concept of idolatry is your belief in your heart, how you feel in your heart. God forbid see us existence any different any, any, any other than God himself. But on an outside note, without Emuna, a Jew can never be severed from God. If that's the case, why does he have to sacrifice his own life for it? As we stated in the Mishnah Perkyavas, Mishnah Zion. Sorry, no. It's an Amma, we say that later. The Mishnah Perkyavas. This is what? The motto. This is the battle cry of the Jew. Action. That's the main point. All the intentions and all the preparations, anything that goes surrounds the actual Misa is beautiful. But in this world, what counts is the deed. You need to do the deed. You need to put on the twillin. Women need to light Shabbos candles. You need to eat kosher. All these things have their bumps in the road. All these things have these trials and tribulations for us. Zoktuns, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Teda says, you're doing it because you love me. But on the other side, on the flip side, when God forbid someone serves idolatry, the worst of sins, serving of Yedizara, whatever his intentions are, they all fall into Yarek Vayavar. Rather die than do it. This Yarek Vayavar has to do with the Maisa. Bowing down or doing something that serves the actual Avidazara, that at all costs, even the cost of one's life, needs to be avoided. And that's why Jews literally gave up their lives. Not to God forbid, even let someone think or see that they were doing something that looked like idolatry. This, therefore, we find a very integral point with the Makeshish. The Kimi scored home is Gemara Baba Basra. On Kufiyut Tesamid Beis, 119, side 2, in the Tesis. Tesis starts the words, Afilu. And he explains... This fellow who chopped wood, we asked before the question, What were you thinking? And the answer is, L'shem Shomayim Niskaven. He had this in mind for the name of God. 
He felt now that after the sin of the spies, now that the decree was placed on the Jews that they will not enter the Holy Land for 40 years, Jews started to feel and think and slip. And therefore they said, eh, if that's the case, we no longer need to do any mitzvahs. Therefore, the people were mesenefesh, gave their lives in order not to allow people to think or to dream as such. They stood in the Umachal Shabbos so they could be killed for this, so everyone should see them being killed for desecrating Shabbos. So that they will hear and know the the lesson and accept and believe the lesson. That Chil, Shabbos and other mitzvahs are fully intact. We may not slack on anything. When it comes to intentions, not only did he not, God forbid, want to desecrate Shabbos, Quite the opposite. His intention was to strengthen Shemitah Shabbos. According to Halacha, according to purity. It was not so much that he cut the wood, as much as it was a Malacha Shein Atzicha Legufa. A Malacha if you, bring, if you keep your score at home, the Gemara Chagiga, Daf Yud, the beginning of the second side. That this was a Malacha Shein Gufa. He did not need the wood. And therefore, although he was chopping wood, and he's not allowed to chop wood on Shabbos, he wasn't chopping it to take it, to burn it, to do anything. He was just chopping the wood. And therefore, in spite of the fact that it was he was punished. Because bottom line, he did it. And according to the Tater, which is Tater Zemes, this is called Chil Shabbos. Desecrating Shabbos. Come on, let's learn. At this point, is Dafke pointed out with the theme of the Parsha. The stress, the emphasis on the importance of doing Bepeil the commandments of God. The sin of the Miraglim themselves. The sin of the Miraglim. was because they wanted to stay spiritual. They did not want to go and get involved in the physical mundane world of deal, of, deal, of milling, of doing the lands and doing working in the land and working in the fields, having the tumas and the mysis and everything else. 
they wanted to live the life that they were living in the Midbar. The life they were living, pure spirituality in the clouds, in the Nani Covid. And they didn't want to get away from, they didn't want to work away from that. And therefore we take away, the takeaway we take from this point of the Parashim Raglan. It's not your major kavanas and your feelings and your emotions. That's not the main point. You're missing the point. The main point is in In Cleveland, there was a yeshiva called, it tells the yeshiva, it's still there, it tells the yeshiva. The reason it's called, it tells the yeshiva, tells. Its founder grew up in the city Tells, which is a terrorist city, and started slipping. One of the sons of the people started between World War One and World War Two, and people started losing it. And the Haredes, the people, the Frum people, were not happy with what was going on. But the people that were slipping, shall we say, arranged protests in the square, in the Grand Army Square. They made protests. Fire lives do matter. And there was one fellow, Bush stood up and was going to Atlanta. Child. It was Bush Mikhail Shabbos Fahesia. And he stood up to him in front of him and showed him what Khil Shabbos is all about. And this Yid, the Belia, slapped him across the face. How dare you! desecrate Shabbos like that. And the man vowed to get his revenge. And lo and behold, the man wasn't only desecrating Shabbos, he slipped totally through the cracks and left his whole Yiddishkeit behind. Partied with the aristocrats, raised up in rank, became a very, very important person in the government. Abelia heard this, that this guy is now a man of something, substantiality. He immediately picked himself up, his family, his immediate family, and moved to America. He moved to Cleveland, where he established the yeshiva, called it after the city of Tells, And he literally, because he slapped this person because of Chil Shabbos, was saved from what the fate of the rest of that city went through. During World War II, Yomach Shemam was a crown to the hands of the, hit of, Yomach, of the Nazis.
The Ramban asks in the beginning of El Parsha, what did the Miraglim do wrong? What did the spies do so wrong? Moshe tells them, all the things he has to check. So they came back and they told him, they answered him what he asked. What was the great sin? What did they do so bad? Said Ephes Kiyoza Oma Yeshivaretz. They weren't saying anything lies. They weren't saying any false testimony here. The Ram answers the sin of the Miraglim was after the Miraglim said what they saw, they added. We can't go after the nation because they're stronger than us. This is not a story. Something that we just needed. It's not. Excuse me. It's not something that they needed to tell. It's not a story they tell. Telling that they're giving instructions. They're giving ideas. You were asked questions, answer your questions. Nobody asked you to add what you didn't have to add. This was something that they were trying to push their agenda. Saying, This is their svara itself. Is there a greater sin than that? Pushing your own agenda. We find Moshe sent the Miraglim, he sent these spies to testify, to find out what is the best way to conquer. And definitely was his intention of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded to go and conquer the land. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu said go conquer the land, he knew they can conquer the land. There's no doubt in his mind that he'd be able to be successful in doing so. Because HaKadosh Baruch said to do it. However, the Miraglim, they sinned with the fact that they tried to infuse the Lenucha Lalis alone. This is our lifelong lesson. A very fundamental mainstay point of how we need to be Mekayim Teda Mitzvah. Everything in the Teda and every Mitzvah in the Teda is a commandment Ashekidishonu Bimitzvesavitzivanu, which HaKadosh Baruch himself commanded. And if that's the case, we can definitely do it. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't ask us to do anything that we can't do. So therefore a person, a mundane person, if only with the knowledge of this action, by hearing what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, 
by thinking, God forbid, that he cannot accomplish this. This in itself becomes problematic. This, as we said before, the doubting that a Kaddish Baruch could do something, or if I cared, thinking that we are doing the something, that it's us that is accomplishing this, that it's us that is doing this, that it's us that is making this happen, that is a shortcoming of the Jew, of each and every Jew. Because we have to know and understand how Kaddish Baruch Hu makes sure whatever it is that we can actually fulfill this mitzvah. And if He gave us the mitzvah, He would definitely give us the strength to fulfill the mitzvah. The people that he sent them from the simple part of the Pasuk we see to explain by Yeshua by Yelino Aleinu Alavis Adavar it's called Eida they returned they caused havoc they caused a revolution more than just when the spies returned that's not what Rashi tells us. But rather Rashi tells us, this returns back, this reverts back to what he said before. Kishishavu mitororetz. Why? We find the Pesach therefore is telling us, repeating the story for what the Miraglim planted. The spies planted in the mines. But the truth is, Rashi is coming to answer this very question. And within his explanation, he explains why the Pasuk changes the story of the wording of the Miraglim. You know, Pasha tells us how angry Hashem became with the Jews. So much so that he said, I can't Destroy them, wipe them out. But still, in all, Mesha managed to pray for the Jews well, strong enough and hard enough, and he's literally saved their lives. But over the 40 years, though those that died that, had the, that were placed in this decree, why did Mesha? Why was he not able to save the Miraglim as well? They died immediately in a plague. And the answer is, is there is a severity of which the Miraglim committed, which did not happen with the whole nation. The Miraglim intended to go up against Mesha himself. And since we know a prosecutor cannot become a lawyer, they could not be saved in the prayers of Moshe. 
thereby when it talks about the death of the Meraglim Pasuk says first Vayelino Alav because they came up against him Harimu Alav is called it's not just an argument that the Meraglim presented rather it's an argument that Machlekes HaMesh Rebbein himself and because of this they were not forgiven for their grave sin and for their behavior. May we merit once and for all true and honest forgiveness. May we see to it that we take the true lessons from this of the way we talk and the way we act and the Maiser Hu'ikir to act properly, appropriately in our service to Hashem and in that merit to go this very Shabbos to Yerushalayim Yerakodesh with Melech HaMashiach Tzchav Chassivin the Rebbe came to America and Gimel Thomas that's upcoming next week Shabbos Havarach HaMashiach don't forget we have to bench the new Chodesh of Tammuz we prepare ourselves for Gimel Thomas which we will we'll discuss next week's year the actual Gimel Thomas Good Shabbos to all